Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Chip. Hello. Are you as excited for this conversation as me? (laughs) I am. I'm also nervous because I feel like I'm going to find out um, some really bad habits of my own. Like how you're even worse than you thought at boundaries? Mm -hmm. Okay. But that's where you grow, right? Yeah. I mean, I, we think you and I talk about this a lot. One of the main things we love about having this podcast is that we get to actually come on and talk to people who really admire like experts in different fields. And also it's like the greatest teacher of all time because we're getting basically free therapy. <laughs> um, I love it. Yeah. So today we are so excited because we have the boundary boss, Terry Cole here. She is a psychotherapist and author of Boundary Boss, The Essential Guide to Talk True, Be Seen, and Finally Live Free. Hi, Terry. Well, hello, people. How are you? <laughs> we are so Sounds glad good. to have you here. Chip and I equally talk about this, but we both just have really been on a journey, I would say, the past couple years to really learn about how to take care of ourselves and how to navigate life with boundaries. So let's just dive in and, I don't know, let's just talk about boundaries. I want to know... How did you actually become the boundary boss? <laughs> well, I started out as the boundary disaster. Exactly. So, <laughs> I mean, you, you know, they say that you teach what you most need to learn. Yeah. And I think that that, in my case, for sure, that was true. Although I didn't know in my 20s, you know, when I was in therapy and trying to figure out, like, why was I bitter in this relationship and feeling taken advantage of by this person and pissed off about this thing? I had no idea that the pain in my relationships, a lot of it was related to me having disordered boundaries. I didn't know Mm. that. No one had taught me. No one had talked about it. So in changing my relationship to my own boundaries, internal boundaries, and then bringing that out into my relationships, my life, my career, my romantic relationships, it obviously changed my life. And I couldn't believe that nobody teaches us this like incredibly important skill. And so at the time when all this was happening, I was a talent agent. I was negotiating contracts for supermodels and celebrities. That's what I did before I became a psychotherapist. 
which obviously is, you know, entertainment is not exactly a hotbed of really good boundaries. No, it's, it's the worst. Just awful. I mean, just yeah. forget, especially as an agent, because I was young. Our clients are young. You're socializing your ass off with people. It's you, you really, it, it was very difficult. And that really shone a light on how not good I was with establishing and asserting and communicating boundaries. So when I started really getting it and I realized at the end of my career in entertainment that I just literally didn't care about the Pantene deal or the movie contract. All I cared about was getting my clients into eating disorder clinics and drug treatment help and therapy. And I was like, all right, clearly you're in, <laughs> you need to get out of here before you start really sucking and just, you need to do what you want to do, which was a hard transition oh, yeah. to make. Cause I was really, I was incredibly ambitious. I was only in my early thirties and I was running an agency. Like I was sort of, according to my father, I was at the top of my career. <laughs> he was like, wait, what, <laughs> what are, are you doing? doing? <laughs> <laughs> he was a hundred percent like, but why? I'm just curious. You yeah. want to make no money. You want to get in debt to NYU for, to a hundred grand, which I did. Um, but I was like, dude, I'm grown up. Like I love you and all, but I don't need your money or your approval. So hopefully you'll support me and that would be great. That was Once a boundary. I, had, that, I was going to say that's <laughs> one hell of a boundary. Terry, yeah, there you that, go. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how many years of therapy in though people? Right. That, was, yeah, that right. wouldn't have happened if I was 22. Right. Right. Yeah. right. I would have been like, oh, maybe I shouldn't. Right. Maybe you're right. Maybe right. I should stay being a talent agent, even though I didn't want to. But what I saw when I opened my my own practice and, you know, X number of years in, and I was always taking copious notes of like, what are the similar pain points mm -hmm. that people walk in with? Like, what is it that is killing the joy in people's lives? What is exacerbating their pain or creating pain? And no matter what their presenting problem was, I could just follow the dots backwards to the fact that it was all related to them having no clue as to how to communicate or establish healthy boundaries and how that eventually made them miserable. The same way that I was saying that when I got into therapy and when I was in, you know, years into therapy, I would be like, this person is taking advantage of me. Mm -hmm. This person is entitled. This person has all this expectation. How dare they have these expectations? And of course, my therapist was like, um, how about just fucking say no? Like, right. I have an idea. Like, like we could spend all of our time yeah. judging how what an idiot Betty is. Or we can simply say, oh, hey, that doesn't work for me. Mm -hmm. But if you move next Saturday, maybe I can help you for two hours. As opposed to being like, I can't believe she'd ask me. Because it's very unempowering to not know what your preferences, limits, and deal breakers are. Which is what I consider your boundaries. Right. So let, let's go there. I don't know. Did I answer your okay. question, even though that was you like the longest way question, around the barn? But... And now I'm fascinated with this. So you said preferences. Tell me again. Preferences. So preferences, limits, desires, and okay. deal breakers. And deal, deal breakers. breakers. And what are those? Like if you had to label those four things, those are. Well, th these are your boundaries, basically. That but, is. Okay. And the reason why I give you this span is that not all boundary requests or desires have the same weight. You can have a preference like, hey, I don't really feel like eating Italian tonight. Yeah. I really would like to have sushi. Okay. That's a preference, right? That's not going to end your marriage probably. Mm -hmm. And if your person was like, I really can't, let's meet in the middle. Let's have burgers. You'd be like, okay. Like it's, that's not the end of the world, but your preferences matter. 
though. And I think a lot of us who want to be like, you know me, I'm easy breezy, no fuss, no muss, whatever you guys want to do is good. Like we we get um, habituated into these behaviors that are self-abandoning in a way that we're unaware of because we don't want any conflict. Right. We we just don't even want to deal with asserting ourselves, but I'm going to get to the, the, the fallout from not asserting ourselves. All right. So let's, let's finish the categories of boundaries. So you have your preferences, Mm -hmm. your limits, right? Like your friends, like, can you come help me move all day on Saturday from 6am to midnight? No, I cannot. So a limit would say, I have three hours. I can help you from 12 to three. I hope that's helpful. Okay. Right. That's a limit. Um, Desires are like sort of bigger things in your life, like where you want to live and what matters to you. And again, children. Yes, exactly. Children, not children. Um, But they're still important because again, as you're going to see, as we go through this process, your limits, your preferences, your desires, and your deal breakers, they're not just your boundaries. They're also the qualities in you that make you uniquely mm-hmm. you. So they're really important. And deal breakers, last one is deal breakers, which this is just shit that is non-negotiable. Okay. Non-negotiable either way, right? Like if you're someone who's getting in a relationship with someone and you must have children, that's non-negotiable. Do me a favor. Don't date people who are like, I'm on the fence. Forget it. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. Date people who you know want kids. But a lot of times we'll be like, oh, they're so nice. I'm going to wait and see. They're going to change their mind. Maybe not. Like, So we have to be committed to our deal breakers. Or for me, dating someone in recovery, because I'm in recovery, was I didn't want that. That would have been a deal breaker. Just one addict, one recovering addict in my relationships <laughs> is enough. <laughs> Even though my friends would be like, you're single and you're so picky. You don't want to date anyone in recovery. Why are, are you yeah. judging people in recovery? I'm like, no. No, I I'm in don't. recovery. You're like, no, but you are. <laughs> exactly. Like, and also my deal breakers are my business. It's my right. right. I don't need to convince anyone of anything, right? That and neither do you. Yeah. It, you know, neither do you. So anyway, the according to Terry Cole, those are your boundaries. I love that because well, the first when you were talking about preferences, you mentioned the word self-abandoning. And I think that that is such a big word when it comes to boundaries, because what you said, even with preferences, it's like the Italian restaurant, for example, I actually can do that. I'll be like, oh, I'll find something on every menu. But before long in a relationship, if you do that over and over and over Mm -hmm. again, you don't even exist. Like you're what you like, what, who you are just becomes like melded into who the other person is. And before you know it, and I'm saying this because I've done it a million times, Mm -hmm. you're living in their life and your life is like no longer even there to be found. So you're just completely lost because you're there to, or you're there to please, you become a people pleaser. Yeah. Yeah. And you're already, yeah, you already are a people pleaser if you're doing that. Right. Right. Yes. I I, th- I think it's probably important to say too, like it is fine sometimes to be like, you know what, like tonight I really don't have an opinion, like whatever you want, like that's fine to do occasionally. Of but course. I think when you, but it's also to, uh, important to remember that when you are craving something, it's okay to be like, you know what, I'm really, I I would love sushi tonight. Um, right. And you have to find the happy medium there. You don't want to be the person who's like always putting your foot down too and saying like, no. No, I don't want that. I don't want that. Because you have to right. be open to other people's boundaries too. And preferences, right? If you're and in a relationship with someone, like I care. If my yeah. husband's like, I have a hankering for a chicken pot pie, 
I care about him. I may not want to eat that, but again, I'll find something on that menu because he wants to. And I may not like chicken pot pie, but I really like him. Yeah. I love that. That actually just, why did that make me smile so big? That's like, like, I think that's the best mentality in a relationship though. It's like you care about him. And so that's what compromise or showing up in the relationship looks like. But there's a difference between that and doing it all the time to where like if he's meeting you there, like if he's doing that for you too, that's great. But like I've found myself in a lot of situations where I do that and I'm like, oh, I care about this person. But then I don't even realize like it's not being matched, you know, so it becomes that one sided dynamic. And so these four things are really just kind of thrown out the window because I'm just showing up to the place that I'm not being met there, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. And you're also not, you're not inviting anyone to meet you there. You're oh. literally closing the door on getting your needs met. You, 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 yeah. you're the one just slamming the door and being like, cool, what you want, cool, what you want, right? Yeah. I'm the cool girl. It's the beginning of a relationship. I'm right. easy, breezy. Everything is fine until it's not because that is a slow boat to bitter land. Right. Which is like the only stop on that boat, right? There's nowhere else to go because none of us can be invisible for mm-hmm. a long period of time and not become resentful. Mm-hmm. The way to think about your personal boundaries is your own personal rules of engagement. And it's how we let other people know what's okay with us and what's not okay with us. And there's a way to do it. In it's always possible to be kind. Yeah. Like Bob from accounting and he's a total jerk, then you don't need to be kind, right? You could be you could have a little more heat to the boundary. Bye, Bob. Yeah. There. Exactly. <laughs> Bye, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that the myths that are around having healthy boundaries, it's like you are saying no all the time. Kind of what you said, Chip, like the person who's like mm, constantly. I'm going to assert what I want all the time. I'm punching people in the face verbally. I'm blocking people out. I'm rejecting people. That's not true at all. It doesn't have to be. And if someone is doing that, they're not a boundary boss. They're a boundary bully, which is not the same. I want to give an example. Like, um, So I've recently started dating this guy and he loves Mexican food. And last night we had dinner and like we, we now eat Mexican food a lot because he likes, I actually love Mexican food too. I wasn't really in the mood for it last night, but he would like had a hankering for it. And so I said, sure, you know, I just wanted to spend time with him. Um, But in hindsight, I look back and I try because I wasn't really in the mood for Mexican food. I didn't want what I normally order. So I got adventurous with the menu last night and I tried things that I'd never had. And when I left, I was really happy that I'd had Mexican food. Um, So, um, you know, I do think sometimes like, I, I didn't feel like I was, um, you know, uh, relinquishing any boundaries. I just mm-hmm. literally didn't have much of an opinion last night, except for I wanted him to have what he wanted. So I yep. do think there are those moments in our lives that we can look at, like, if we don't have a hard line reason to say no, then it's okay to like sort of lean into what you're not sure of, because you might learn something about yourself. Without a doubt. But you know, Chip, what you see more often than not is people, especially people pleasers um, with the disease to please, who are uh, conflict avoidant, who fear rejection, that they're not worried about that part of it because they're they're always doing that. Mm -hmm. They're always thinking of the other person. They're always uh, self-abandoning 
in service, in their mind, in service of being loving, in service of the relationship, in service of being kind. And so the mutuality that you're talking about, so the guy you're dating last night had a hankering. You're like, I kind of don't, but I could kind of find. It's it's, right. it's not yeah. a big deal. I don't, I don't feel put upon by this. And again, those are conscious choices that you make. And your point was well taken that you had like a culinary adventure because you didn't feel like what you normally ate. And it ended up kind of being interesting to you. And there's no problem with that. It's making choices that are mindful and not mm. compulsive, not driven by fear, not unconscious, which is what so much of the time they are, especially when you're a people pleaser. Right. Right. You're you're literally your default position is. It's cool. <laughs> right. And I I yeah, I suffer from that. Like I, I suffer from rejection. I want to keep people happy. I'm non-confrontational. And I mean this this relationship is new to me. So I am trying I'm making and we can get into this in a minute too. Like my word of the year is purpose, which I'm wearing this today. Um <laughs> my my Justin Bieber purpose sweatshirt that I ordered from eBay. But um I am I want to be very purposeful in it. So I am like, um, I'm trying to not be a people pleaser while also still leaning in and like wanting to get to know him and and um, know what his desires and his preferences and all of those things are too, because I think that's important, especially in a romantic relationship. You know, obviously there are boundaries that exist in the workspace and in family relationships and those sorts of things. But I think in the beginning, particularly for me of this romantic relationship, like, I'm I'm learning my boundaries within that sphere. Um, yes, as it pertains to this one particular relationship. Yes, but I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. So you want to get to know your person. Mm -hmm. You're interested in them. I want them to get to know you. Right. So where is the space? Because here here's what ends up happening a lot of times when we are, as you described. And I was exactly the same. So I totally get it. Conflict avoidant and just want it to be smooth and want to be accepted and want to be loved. Of course, I mean, this is this is literally what we all want. Mm -hmm. So really, it's like how much of the time do you become sort of um, an expert listener, an expert interviewer? Like, I can't tell you how many conversations I hid behind, like never revealing anything about myself because I was so good getting other people to talk about themselves. Oh, tell me more about that. And what about this? And then what happened? And partly because I didn't want to be vulnerable unconsciously, this wasn't conscious, um, but partly because I wanted to have control yeah. of right. the conversation and I wanted it to go smoothly. And I was worried about a pregnant pause. And uh, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Really? Totally, it's like your yeah. own way of trying to get safety in a situation. And all um, boundary issues. All right. of those things are boundary issues. I was looking earlier, I was telling you I was stalking your Instagram, which also is a really <laughs> great Instagram if you guys um, struggle with boundaries. I highly suggest it. I'll put it in the description of this podcast. But under your bio, you say helping women liberate themselves with boundaries to break the cycle of overfunctioning. And I was like, blow shots fired, Terry. Like, I feel like you just <laughs> saw me. But I wanted to know because that is me, like the overfunctioning until I literally like my life is falling apart because I'm mm -hmm. overfunctioning in a relationship to try to maintain things because I think it's going to make it work or whatever. But do women struggle with that more than men? I was wondering why you specifically addressed women in your bio. I mean, I'm more of an expert. I would say women and gay. Okay. 
right? That that's yeah. more of my audience. So perfect than, for us. <laughs> than, than straight men. Ding ding ding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you're like, well, hello. Yeah. Um, and I do think, you know, part of my actually the next book that I'm writing right now is about high functioning codependency. Yeah. Which is basically what what you what resonated with you, that whole high functioning piece. Mm. And the reason and because the the foundation of high functioning codependency or any codependency is disordered boundaries, mm-hmm. right? And when you think about it, even though most people don't think about it this way, at its real base, codependency is an overt or a covert bid to control the outcomes of others, mm-hmm. right? It means you are overly invested in the feeling states, the situations, the circumstances, the jobs, the relationships, the decisions of the people in your life to the detriment of your own internal peace. Yes. And maybe your psychological well-being, maybe financial well-being, spiritual all well-being, yeah. or all of the things. Yeah. So when I started my practice, I was attracting a lot of women who are like me, which are highly capable, mm-hmm. very high functioning. And so when I would say, oh, hey, what I'm seeing, this is a codependent dynamic. They would be like, yeah, no, you're wrong, lady. You you misunderstand what's happening. You don't know what you're talking about. Is it about. because they they think of codependent? They're like, no, I'm independent. Look at all the stuff I'm doing. Because that's what I first thought. I'm in recovery for codependency. So this mm-hmm. has been a journey for me as well. But is that what they were thinking? Like, Well, they were like, I'm not dependent on squat. Exactly. Yes. I am the the one that everyone comes to. Mm -hmm. I'm making all the dough. Mm -hmm. I'm supporting the niece and the nephew. I'm fixing all the problems. I'm fixing all the problems. I'm the rock in my family. Yeah. How can you insult me by telling me I'm codependent? (laughs) So after years of this same response, I, I needed a way to get in to my people because they were suffering. Yeah. And I'm like, you're not going to stop suffering until we can identify what it actually is and then change the behavior. And so I coined a new phrase because there are differences between regular old Melody Beatty, codependent no more, got to be involved with an addict, enabling codependency, mm-hmm. and the high-functioning codependency. Yeah. So as soon as I came up with this name, then my clients were like, oh, wait, definitely. Everyone yeah. then was leaning in and being like, oh, my God. That is me. And holy crap, I'm exhausted. Yeah. It's so interesting because I love that you're talking about that because I find, like, even when I say, oh, I'm in recovery for codependency, people are like, what? You're not? Because I, like, am a high-functioning human uh-huh. in most areas of my life until it falls apart. But that's been the thing is, like, you know, I, I can do a lot of things and I can do a lot of jobs and, like, show up. And so it doesn't look like... Like, I'm not sitting around just like waiting for a man to fix my life. You know, if anything, it's the opposite in most cases, but mm-hmm. that's where people get codependency wrong. And so it's really interesting to hear because I think a lot of times we think like we're doing something kind for someone else. Mm-hmm. And it's really like the people pleasing and the over functioning and all this stuff. It's really for us. And that's like, mm-hmm. it's a big thing that I've had to really accept is like, that's not the kind, generous thing to do for them right now. Actually, saying no or holding a boundary or not doing it for them and like allowing them the space to do it for themselves is the kindest thing we can do for other people. Agreed. But think about it this way. Okay. When people come to us 
and they've yeah. got a problem and we're, we're just auto fixing our asses off. We just cannot wait to get in and be like, I've got a book recommendation. I'm going to hook you up <laughs> with my friend who's a doctor. I've got, I'm on Google right that now finding me. answers for you. That's yeah. just, yes. <laughs> I did a podcast about this and yeah, <laughs> here's who you should follow. It's going to exactly. be great. But what we're doing, and this was so humbling for me to really get, is that we're centering ourselves in the middle of the person's problem. Mm -hmm. Now your problem is just about me as the solution. I've got it. Mm -hmm. You're good. Because mm -hmm. I'm uncomfortable with you being in pain. So I need, I'm compulsively trying to fix my own discomfort with your pain, right? So there, it is so distressing to me that you're in pain that I'm, I can't even stop myself, right? Until you're in recovery. It's like, I couldn't even stop myself oh, no. from making suggestions, from lending money, from doing all the crap. Mm -hmm. But when my therapist was like, I had a situation with one of my sisters who was in a terrible abusive situation, literally no, no exaggeration, no filter needed, living in the woods in a house that had no running water or electricity with a guy who was doing crack and being physically abusive. That's that's the actual situation. Yeah. So this is very bad and very bad when you're codependent because yeah. I couldn't, I was obsessed with like saving her from herself, from her choices, from mm -hmm. him. I mean, all the revenge fantasies, all the money that I threw at it. And I remember calling my, talking to my therapist and I was crying and being like, I, don't know, I just can't take it. She tells me how terrible he is to her and how abusive he is and he's hitting her. And, uh, you know, I what am I going to do? And she was like, Tara what are you going to do? I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, what am I going to do? She's like, yeah. Mm. Okay. So then she explained, she's like, listen, do you, do you know what's going on here? And I was like, uh, no, but clearly not by what you're saying. So how about just fill me in? And she said, you've worked for 20 years to create a lot of internal peace and you have a very, pretty harmonious life. Your sister's dumpster fire of a life is really messing with your peace. Mm -hmm. And you want yeah. it to stop, right? You want it to stop. So you want to fix that. So you can go back to your like unicorns and butterflies. That like that's a good point. It's so true. And like, or oftentimes too, like if some, someone's going through something, you know, like they're not themselves. And so you're like, okay. I just need you to get back to normal so that we can go like have fun again and live our lives and that kind of thing too. Yeah. But but what I learned though, and and the end of the end, is I was I didn't know I had a choice. Yeah, so this is another thing with high functioning codependency or any codependency. I literally did not know that I was allowed to not throw myself under that bus on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. So I said to my therapist, "So what do you mean?" She's like, "Tara, you need boundaries, and you need to communicate them with your sister and tell her it's too painful for you to talk to her all the time while she's in this situation." But and then I said, but I want to help her. If she wants to get out, like, I still want to be her person. She's like, then say that. Called my sister, told her. Within nine months, I'd say, maybe we talked twice. And at the end of nine months, she was like, hi, if your offer still stands, I want to get the fuck out of here. And I was like, I'm getting in my car right now. Okay. Um, went and picked her up. My husband and I had this little lake house. We let her live there for two years, like winterized it for her. Just she went back to school. She got sober. But here's the the most important part of this story is that. It wasn't because I was the hero in her story. It was because she mm -hmm. was the hero 
in her story. So the changes that she made stuck because they weren't about her pleasing me. It was about her reaching that bottom that you have to reach to decide you're going to change your life and then appropriately asking for the help that I said would be there. So that was a win-win, even though those nine months were long Mm -hmm. and that was hard to do. But that is exactly what you were saying before about, you know, Kelly, you were saying before about like the loving thing to do. Yeah. Is not making her situation about me. Right. Because, I mean, we're talking more about, I guess, addiction-specific situations, but I think people can apply this to any sort of toxic dynamic in your, you know, people in your life. If you're observing that, it Mm -hmm. feels cruel to be like, I can't pull you out of this and fix this for you. Like, you have to do that for yourself. Or to me, it does. Like, yeah. I'm like, I love this person. Why wouldn't I help them? But you made such a good point of like, it doesn't stick unless they are the ones to do it for themselves. And that's what I think a lot of people in recovery learn along the way is like, especially if people are deciding to get sober, like I can't make anybody get sober. Mm-hmm. It's not going to stop. No. It's not going to like fix it for them. But well, you're also know. robbing them of their sovereignty. And okay. I think that that's something that's really important why shouldn't I help them? What makes you think you know what they should do? Right. Like, I'm not God. Well, that's right. what my, my therapist said to my face. She was like, what makes you think you know what lessons your sister needs to learn in this life? That's exactly right. And I was like, what do you mean? I don't think she needs to live in a house without running water. And she's like, right. yeah, well, you don't. Are you God? Is Do you know how she's going to learn? You don't. And so it's so presumptuous mm-hmm. to think like, I know what you should do. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you should do, but I love you and I'm here and I'll listen and I'll do whatever I can do. But it's it's like that shifted it as well because I felt the same way about like, she's my sister. Right. How can I not? Yeah. And my therapist was like, but you can't. This this What you have in your mind that you think you're doing is an illusion of control, Terry. Mm-hmm. It's not real. You don't have control. Your sister's going to change. When and if she reaches a point of pain, tipping point, where she's willing, the pain of leaving, right? The pain of staying is overpowering the pain of leaving. I have a a question because, you know, we talked a lot about this chip the last couple months. My, I'm sorry, the last couple of weeks, that was the wrong word. Um, My word for this year in general is dare and chips is purpose. And so we've really applied all of our topics this month to that. And it was funny because like when I was talking to your rep about doing a podcast, I was like, actually, this is the perfect time because to me, boundaries are literally the most daring thing that I'm doing in my mm-hmm. life right now. Um, and some people might be like, what? That's ridiculous. But when you know my journey of that, like I remember when I first started recovery, I set a boundary and I sobbed for hours after setting it. Like it was the, and it was so simple. Like I can't go to lunch with you. And the person was like, okay. And I was like, okay. you know, it was, it broke <laughs> me. Um, and then there's the other side of it that I do where I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll stuff, I'll stuff, I'll stuff. And then I explode. It's like the only mm-hmm. way I can set a boundary is if I'm so angry that I can't function. So can you talk a little bit to people who might be listening that are like me um, or they resonate with that, where it's just like, The simplest things even can seem so overwhelming. And so like setting a boundary can be daring. Why is that? Like, why are they so hard? Because we're afraid. 
Of and what? because it's the little, well, it's the kid. All okay. of us have children within, right? And yeah. trust me, before I became a psychotherapist, I was like, what? No. Yeah. Like Oof. I had no, I had no, no, no love for the child within John Bradshaw stuff until I became a therapist. And then I was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. this is so important. This is so true that all of us have the little kid us where, you know, we've had different experiences at different phases of development that make us vulnerable to different disordered types of relationships in adulthood or relationships to substances or whatever it is. Yeah. So it's so hard because it's the six-year-old you who can't just like hitch it out of there to go like rent an Airbnb, right? Like we're kids are the most, you know, the, the ultimate captive audience where whatever was going on in the family of origin, we figured out how to survive that the good, the bad, the disordered, the dysfunctional, the painful, the abusive, the addicted. And so when you're ha- having that experience, that crying experience, that isn't the adult you. Mm. That's the little kid you who could never do it in childhood and is has waited, not just you waiting four months to do it with this person. It's you waiting 40 years to do it or 30 years to do it yeah. in your life. Yeah. And so the way that I teach it in Boundary Boss, the book itself, um, is there's a way to create proactive boundary plans, but you do a whole internal deep dive before that. So identifying anybody listening who's like, I don't even know where to start. Yeah. Like, help. It seems so overwhelming, which is what everyone says when we talk about boundaries, is I will invite you to do something that's super quick to do. Do a resentment inventory, because that's going to tell you. <laughs> uh where you need a boundary or where you haven't been asserting a boundary or where you've asserted a boundary and the person is violating the boundary, Mm -hmm. right? A need is going unmet. If we are feeling resentful in relationships, some need of ours is going unmet. I love that statement. Y'all think about that though. If you're mad, like if you're feeling resentful, it's because a need is not getting met. I think a lot of times we want to make it about the other person. Mm -mm. It's You said this at the beginning. It's about us. And it's about our need not being met. Sorry to cut you off. I just Correct. think that's such a good point. No, no, no. I, I think that it's really important. And I, I agree with you, Kelly. I don't think that people look at it from that way. It's almost like yeah. we look at relationships in this very two-dimensional way. It's like, you're wrong and I'm right. You stepped out on me. So now you're the bad one. And now you could make it up to me. But like in this two-dimensional way. But there is always a parallel process going on underneath whatever is happening on the surface. So if you find yourself in a repeated situation where you're like, wow, I'm in another relationship with an unavailable person. Mm -hmm. How the hell did I get here again? There is something that you are repeating, right? Because there's this great, Christine Oba has this great uh, quote, we repeat what we do not repair. Mm. And that is a fact, especially when it comes to relationships. So any repeated thing in your life where you're like, how am I have no money again? How am I say I'm going to work out and didn't do it again? Or I'm going to stop drinking during the week and I keep drinking during the week. Like, how am I here again? I'm going to give you guys three questions that you can ask yourself to get clarity on what is actually happening. Because as human beings, we can only talk things out or act things out. So if 
you have this repeated situation that you're like, why am I here again? You're Mm -hmm. acting something out that if we can identify the original injury, you then have the option to talk it out, to journal it out, to write it out, to talk to a friend, to get into therapy. Like there's all kinds of things, but this stuff is in your unconscious mind. This is like in the basement of your mind. So the questions are this. If you find yourself in a relationship, let's say with an unavailable person, again, you say, who does this person remind me of? Okay. Where have I felt like this before? And how or why is the behavioral dynamic, the way I'm interacting with them, the way they're interacting with me? How is that familiar? Because you may have witnessed it. It doesn't mean you had to have experienced it yourself. Maybe you saw that dynamic with the adults that raised you. You know what I mean? Yeah. That we could still be playing out those things. I'm processing because <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Chip. Well, I mean, I, uh, I I don't know if this is a huge gear shift. Just say so, and we can get to it. But like, I'm thinking when I'm listening, I'm hearing a lot about myself, mm-hmm. but I'm also thinking about the work that I do, and I, I work in music management. So we basically. There's a lot of serving other people, you know, it's What's what a, she was saying at the beginning. I'm a, about I'm a professional co- yes. codependent, you know, yes. and yep. yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's obviously it's like, you know, um, and I do, I love what I do. So I don't mean to, for that to sound negative, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm also like, you know, mindful of how much I work and especially in going into this new relationship, I'm, I'm in an album really cycle and I'm like, Hey, I just need you to know the next four weeks are going to be insane for me. And it's, but I want to like be purposeful and make as much time for him as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even know what that's going to look like yet, you know? So um, I'm just wondering like the difference between like when it's romantic and professional, like how much harder should we expect boundaries to be? Because when it affects your livelihood and you being able to pay your mortgage and put food on your table, I would imagine that is a different level of stress than like having to find another significant other, especially if it's your, you know, your serial dater or whatever it is. And, you know, obviously right. it's, if you're in a committed marriage or something, it's a different level of stress, but yeah, I'm just curious. Right. Well, he- here's the thing about being a professional codependent. Yes. Agreed. People in the service industry, who who do I see in my in my practice so much? You know, trauma nurses, like people who life is service. That's what it is. Right. And that mindset is melding into their personal life. So the first thing is mindfulness. And you can also be in a um you can be in a service industry. And have boundaries. Right. You you can actually be healthy because what I find in working with, I mean, a lot of the people I've worked with, super high profile people, is that especially in my private practice now, right, where it's like they respect me being honest and not being like everyone else. It's like the Elvis syndrome. This is what they, you know, when I I would always be counseling like high profile people about, you have to watch out for the Elvis syndrome, which is that if you surround yourself with all of these bottom suckers who are there for money, who don't give a crap about you, nobody's telling you the truth about what you're doing, how you're acting, how you're impacting others, nobody, but I will. And maybe you'll fire me and that's okay. Right. I'm telling you right now. Now, I'm not saying with doing what you're doing, you're going to like be, you know, serving someone that information. But I also think it's okay to 
not take someone's phone call at two in the morning or to not be available 24 seven because the unrealistic lives, the how demanding people who have this crazy power in our society and working with, and I've worked with all different kinds from pop stars to professional athletes where it's like not real life. Right. Right. Not real life. And everyone is like, you're so amazing. And I don't want, you know, it's all about you being happy person. And I'm like, why? Stop it. Right. First of all, happiness is not a destination. This is just moments of happiness. That's not even normal to, to think that, and wait a minute, this is called just because in your life, everything is instant gratification. That's not life. And that's, that's not a life that I want to be involved with. So I think that one thing is to look at how how your behavior um, in your work, or are there places where you can sort of tighten up your preferences, your limits, and your boundaries? That makes sense, right? We're not talking about extremes, right? When you're not telling off like the lead singer of whatever, right? It, it's right. not that. It's about how are you taking care of yourself while you're expending so much bandwidth towards the service of right. others, yeah. right? So upping the self-care. And then you, there has to be a delineation between work and boyfriend land, work and home, work and real life, where in your own mind, I, I always have my clients go through some kind of a ritual where you're like energetically leaving the day, change, change to a different hoodie. Right when you get to nighttime, right, this is your right, work right, hoodie. Yeah. Now we're going to have a different hoodie for going <laughs> right. out to Mexico. No Bieber, <laughs> no. or or just a different Justin Bieber, so that yeah. energetically <laughs> we're we're sort of moving into the next place. And really, again, going Chip, going back to what you were saying, you can check your urgency around things. You can check your resentment because if we're feeling really urgent around doing something for someone or like someone has a problem and I, the urgency suddenly their problem has like lit a fire in my chest mm-hmm. where it now is literally my problem. Now I'm not talking about work there. I'm talking about home because sometimes your client's problem is your problem if it's your job to fix it. Right. So again, we need discernment in the workspace around boundaries, but in home life and romantic life, it's, the mindfulness piece, which is why I'm a meditation teacher and I have meditation CDs and I'm on insight timer with a million meditations because it's such an important part of people being healthy Mm. is having some internal stillness and silence, which gives you about two seconds more reaction time, right? So you're not on autopilot because it's so easy to just, as my teacher David G would say, wake up, burn through the day, drop and do it all over again, you know? I think that's so good too. I love all of that because also taking the time to pause or meditate or any of that stuff, it goes back to what we were talking about with self-abandoning. Like when you're sitting with yourself in those moments, you're actually able to say like, what is going on for me? And like, when I can identify it within myself, whether it's work where I'm struggling, because Chip and I both work in the same industry, um, or relationships, I mean, they're all the same to me. I struggle in all of it. I realized I didn't realize it, but it just it's all crossover. If you don't do boundaries, you just don't do them in any of your life. 
But so when I sit with myself, I can say like, why am I resentful? Or why am I bitching about that person today? And most Mm -hmm. of the time it's like you said, I just need to set a boundary and I can come to a kind, calm way to do that. You know, Mm -hmm. if I sit with myself for a second, do you have tips? I know we're running out of time, but do you have tips? And I'm sure the book addresses this, but of how to clearly communicate, because to me, like boundaries are getting easier and instead of being in the child place where I want to cry and I'm like, oh, I don't know, just don't do that. It makes me mad. You know, I'm able to, to clearly communicate mm-hmm. what I need or what need I need I'm doing without even yeah. being like aggressive with the other person about what it's not about what they're doing. It's like, Mm-mm. this is me and this yes. is my statement or I'm probably not saying that right. But do you have tips for us to learn about boundaries of like clearly communicating in an easy mm-hmm. manner? Of course I do. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, there's a whole chapter okay. in Boundary Boss, which people can get at boundarybossbook.com. Okay. Um, and there's a whole bunch of bonuses there too, but th- I created a whole chapter, but I'll let, let's let talk about some easy frames and some stem, some sentence starters that people can take away from this podcast, where the first thing is knowing what the problem is Yeah. and not doing what you said, not waiting until you're a volcano. The second you start feeling that ug in your chest or your throat or wherever you get it because we all are body. You know, the wisdom of our bodies is profound. Trust totally. me. Somebody yes. says something, you don't say anything at the moment. Your body registered that shit immediately. Oh yeah. And if you think about it later, you're like, oh, when did I start getting in a bad mood? Yeah. Oh or yeah. Anxious. It was. Yeah. Yes. It's when Betty interrupted me during the team meeting and mm. stole my thunder, right? Or or whatever the thing is, we identify what it is. And the sooner, like as soon as a boundary violation or you you don't like something, I don't mean, again, it has to be every minutia, right? But the sooner we can establish boundaries, right? Early and often, I like to say, especially in relationships, because we're establishing how it's going to be. Yeah. So if you're, in, if you're dating someone and they go, hey, I'll call you Friday. Maybe we'll go out on Friday night. Don't hear from them Friday. Then Monday, they call, they're like, how was your weekend? Or they text you. Of course, they wouldn't even call. What am, what no. am I saying? What is it, 1980? Yeah. Um, so they text you. <laughs> and they're like, how was your weekend? Right? You can either collude with their bullshit reality. Yeah. Right? Because they didn't do what they said they were going to do, which is call you on Friday and tell them how your weekend was. Or you can say, oh, when I didn't hear from you on Friday, I just figured you flaked. I had a great weekend. How about you? Like, you say something. Mm-hmm. And we, we don't need to be all aggro about it, but you say something. And then if it happens again, you're like, dude, here's the thing. I'm busy. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't need to tell me you're going to call me on Friday. But if you do say it, I expect you to keep your word. Now, yeah, you, would, you wouldn't say it with the annoyance that I just said it with. So let's talk <laughs> about how how would we say it? I'm like, like you make- think that was annoying? Terry, you've not seen me mad. <laughs> <laughs> So a really easy frame is I'd like to make a simple request. Okay. So that's that's the beginning, right? Very and this is w- used in Marshall <laughs> yeah. Rosenberg's work, <laughs> easy breezy. Um, I'd like to make a simple request that if you're going to be more than 10 minutes late, you text me. So I would have walked instead of taking an Uber. If I knew you were going to be late, just let me know. Yeah. We're letting the person know. We don't have to sit at the dinner all pissy, being withdrawn in anger, giving one-word answers to show them how mad we are without saying how mad we are because life is short, people. Like, you don't need to spend any minutes of your life doing that, but we do. You know what I mean? So 
say it. You feel the annoyance, say it. We're giving them an opportunity to do it. Hopefully the next time they're going to be late. They're like, hey, if you want to walk, walk. I'm not going to be there till 6.15. Great, thank you. And Mm -hmm. how seen you feel and how considered and loved you feel when someone takes into consideration what you've asked them to do, it's amazing. So by doing it, you're giving people the opportunity to step up for you. And by holding resentment and just filing it in that, you know, resentment file cabinet, you're not letting them, Mm -hmm. right? We're not giving them an opportunity. I'd say for a lot of people though, with the kind of disorder boundaries that you're talking about, Kel, and really chip you too, is we want to stop the auto. Yes. That's probably one of the most powerful um, ways that we can put the brakes on our disordered boundary tendency or habituated okay. patterns. So for seven days, no, no, nothing. There'll be no thing that you say an immediate yes to. Right. I mean, unless it's like your boyfriend's like, do you want to go out for dinner? Yes. Okay. So you don't have to get back to them on that. But for most of us, where someone's like, oh, can you help me with this project? Can you help me move? Can I borrow your car or your whatever it is? Um, do you want to do you want to come to my house for dinner? right? All of these things. Give yourself the luxury of time. Nobody needs an immediate answer from you. Literally mm-hmm. not one person mm-hmm. needs it. And so we you've trained people for what they can expect from you. And now you're going to retrain them. So for seven days, you're not giving any immediate yeses to things Ooh. you're going to say. And that's correct, Chip. <laughs> He's like, I'm in the middle of an album release. Yeah. <laughs> So Perfect what are we going to say what are we going to say instead? We're going to buy time. We're going to say, "Oh hey, you know what? I need to check my schedule. I need to check with my boyfriend, my girlfriend. Um I'll I'll get back to you tomorrow or I'll get back to you on Wednesday." Um or I've instituted a 24-hour decision-making policy. Okay. So I'll let you know by end of day tomorrow. Right? Like for my own sanity. Yeah. Um I need I, I'm not positive what I'm doing. How about just I need to even think about it. Mm-hmm. Are we allowed yeah. to just think about things because we're not sure that we want to do whatever the thing is? No, we I are. love giving the like time though, what you just said of like 24 hours or end of day, or even if it was an hour, let me think on that. And I'll be back in an hour because then it like, to me calms the nervous system of the other person too. And so there's not like, like you're making a commitment to show up. She's such a codependent. I know it's not my job. I know it's not my job. It's right. <laughs> oh my God. Stop. Dude. But like it just... doesn't it doesn't do the thing where they're like, uh, like I know we deal with that in work because it is everything is so urgent. So when I give people a time frame, they're like, oh, okay, cool. Yes. And listen, and yes, but we, we can call But you're doing that for yourself is what you need to be thinking of. Not That's for all that. I need to think about, isn't yeah. it? Yes, yeah. because it, it makes you less anxious. Yeah. To give a time frame because you're feeling like they won't come back to you again about it or they won't be annoyed about it. But again, be mindful. How you feel has to be the most important thing. And that doesn't mean, especially being in entertainment or music. I mean, that's, that's, that requires so much diplomacy and so yeah. much strategy, social strategy in that world, dude. It's like, I'm a spy. Like I could literally be a spy. Like so good at reading people, reading yeah. the room, reading a micro change in a facial oh, expression. And then totally, suddenly I would yeah. be like changing what I was saying so that their unhappiness would go to happiness. Right. So what I meant was like avoiding all of the the mm-hmm. rejection and the pushback 
And yet, at the expense of what? So part of it is you have to have boundaries there. And and another thing I think you guys are going to realize is that you can still do your jobs, you can still deliver, but people will have so much more respect. It's so true. For you. I wrote a quote. I wrote a quote last week from Warren Buffett that said the difference between successful people Mm -hmm. and really successful people is that really successful people say no most of the time. It's so true. Yeah. And it's really stuck with me. I'm not really good at remembering quotes, but I remember that one. one, Oh, me too. That's so deep. Yeah. Um, well, I need to read this book fully because this is like, obviously I've shown my colors a couple of times. The book is called Boundary Boss, The Essential Guide to Talk True, Be Seen, and Finally Live Free. Terry, where else can people find you? Because I did mention your Instagram. Will you tell them your handle? Sure. Just at Terry Cole, which is at Terry Cole. R-R-I-C-O-L-E. I also have a gift for your audience. So Amazing. they can they can find it at boundaryboss.me forward slash velvet. Okay. Oh. And it's about it's it's a video and it's a downloadable guide on boundaries and codependency. Oh my gosh. Well, goes to watch now. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're gonna love it. Yeah. She's like, please do. <laughs> you're gonna um, love it. Thank you so much. This is so helpful. You guys go follow Terry on Instagram. Go check out the free gift. Thank you for doing that. That's amazing. Sure. Um, do Chip, do you have any signing off things? I feel like you got a purpose here. I think she like, gave you some. Uh, yes. No, I think there's a lot there for me. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. Of course. Thank you for being here. And thank you guys for listening. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.